I think we can just dismiss and go home. I knew something like that. Before we get started this morning, where's uh, where's Gary and Ann? Where they at? There they are back there. I couldn't find y'all. Would y'all come up here a minute? Don't want to embarrass you by any means, but most of you know that they are missionaries. I uh, have been in Venezuela for about 28 years. Isn't that right? Y'all spent down there? 20, 24? 21, okay. I'm trying to give them too much credit. So, yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> I heard those stories. But anyway, to make a long story short, they're going to be leaving this week, going back to Venezuela just for a short trip. They're not going to spend 21 more years, right? Y'all better come back. Okay. But uh, as you probably heard on the news, Venezuela is not a real good place to be right now. And I'd like to just have a prayer for them as they... Y'all be leaving Wednesday? Is that correct? Would y'all join me in this time? Let's stand together and have we pray for them. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. And Lord, we especially we thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask a special blessing on Gary and Anne as they take this trip to go back to a place they love. But, Lord, at the same time, we know it's also a very dangerous place. And, Lord, we just ask that you'd put your protection upon them, that you'd guide them. Everything they do, the paperwork, everything that needs to be done will come and just fall right into place. And, Lord, that they will bless many people by their presence down there, friends they haven't seen in a long time, and just all the different things that will be going on. We just ask that you watch over them. And, Lord, bring them back to us as quickly as possible. Thank you for them, what they mean to our church. And, Lord, we just ask again that you protect them as they go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all do be in prayer for them as they leave. Now, how long will y'all be gone? A month? Six weeks, okay. I guess we can do without y'all that long, but... If you will, get your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to do it a little bit different than I normally do. We usually stand and read the Scripture together. We're going to read them as it comes today because this is a very interesting story. We've all got favorite Bible studies, but one of my favorite characters, old Peter, Simon Peter. Simon Peter, you know, was a, he was just a rough hone out of an old stone. I mean, he was just a rough character. I picture him as just, I mean, he's a big old fisherman, so I feel, feel like he's probably a big guy. He's muscled up and everything from pulling those nets and all the things that go into fishing and all that things. But in this story, we see this man cracking and breaking in a good way, not in a bad way. But this is one of my favorite stories of all the Bible. But it speaks so much to a, a lot of things in our lives. For instance, if I told you that God would send his son to this earth, that he would only live about 33 years, but only the last three of those years would be how his life would be measured, what do you think he would do with those last three years? What do you think that he did? We're speaking of Jesus, of course. Let me make it personal. Suppose from the day you were born... You knew that you only had 33 years to live on this earth and that your life would be measured by only the last three years. You will say, well, that's not enough time to get anything done. It is indisputable that Jesus did more and accomplished more in the last three years of his life than any other human being has in a full life. 
Do you agree with that? In fact, he accomplished more than any other nation or kingdom in history in three years. H.G. Wells, the author, and also one of the top historians of the 20th century, said this about Jesus. Now listen to these words. These are his words. More than 1,900 years later, a historian like myself, who doesn't even call himself a Christian, finds the picture of entering irresistibly around the life and character of this most significant man. The historian's test of an individual's greatness is, what did he leave behind? What did he leave to grow? Did he start men thinking along fresh lines with vigor and persisted after him? By this test, this is H.G. Wells' words, Jesus stands first among all who have ever lived. I agree with that. That's from H.G. Wells quoted from the greatest men in history, a book he had. Someone has said, you can gauge the size of a ship that has passed out of sight by the huge wake it leaves behind. By any measure, Jesus left the world's largest wake of any ship. It all began with a simple journey, which we're going to see about this morning, that some men decided to take 2,000 years ago with this soon-to-become-famous carpenter from Nazareth. The story that we're going to read today reveals to us two things that Jesus did in those three years that made such a difference. Two things is all he focused on. If you will, turn with me to Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Well, I'll tell you what, we're not even going to, yeah, we'll do verse uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 5. We'll read that. But I'm going to let you stay seated this morning. We've had uh, a lot of good singing and a lot of so forth, so I promise to try to have you out by 2 o'clock. Maybe by that time. Now, see, if Brother Dennis was preaching to be 3 at least, but it just... <laughs> Luke chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake Genesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Wow, that's important, isn't it? What does that have to do with anything? Why did we hear that? The gospel writers said the public ministry of Jesus involved three different things. His ministry. Teaching, preaching, and healing. For three years, Jesus went around the countryside teaching what was right, preaching what was true, and healing what was wrong. That's Jesus' life in a nutshell. This story begins with Jesus teaching and people hearing the Word of God. That's important because every journey that Jesus started, started with hearing the Word of God. Everywhere he went, that was the first thing that was brought out, hearing the Word of God. Now, he was not teaching from this Bible like I've got in front of me because, well, one simple reason, it wasn't written yet. But... He was teaching the Word of God. He was preaching the Word of God. 
because, in essence, Jesus was the Word of God. This story begins with Jesus teaching and people hearing the Word of God. That's important since every journey, again, begins with Jesus' teaching. And it's always, every time that Jesus opens his mouth to speak, it's the Word of God. Every word. It's always the Word of God. It could be translated the Word from God in this case. Jesus was, every time he opened his mouth, you were hearing the Word of God. Every time. His teaching was the Word of God because he was the God of the Word. John, who was in this story, would later write in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that sums up John's feelings on this. Every word that Jesus spoke was the Word of God because he was God. And so here we have this man for 33 years lived. The last three years of it is the only ones that we really hear about. And yet... This is God speaking to us, and he does still today. What was he teaching this crowd? He was teaching them the same thing that we try to teach each and every week in our Sunday school and our Sunday lessons and our our Bible studies and whatever it may be. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Look back a little bit. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Because for this purpose, I have been sent. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Any church that doesn't preach about the kingdom of God ought to go out of business. I remember hearing years ago, one of my first conventions I ever went to as a young pastor, Bailey Smith, you all may remember that name. He was a real popular preacher back in the 70s. and I mean, he was just uh, up in Oklahoma City, Dell City, Oklahoma. He had a, a huge church up there, I think at the time, the largest church in the nation. And he was one of my favorite preachers. I mean, I just loved to hear him. I got to hear him in person and just this kind of a character to me. But I remember him making a statement one time that I really had a problem with. He made that statement that I just made, said that any church that goes out of business ought to. And I thought, well, that's not fair. I mean, some of these little churches, you know, barely exist and this kind of thing. But the more I thought about what he said, I've come to believe that it's exactly true. Because this is the church of Jesus Christ. And if it goes out of business, that means God didn't do what he's supposed to do. Right? Not necessarily. Sometimes it happens that the people of the church don't do what they're supposed to. Good churches go out of business sometimes because people sometimes, pastors included, don't do what they're supposed to. But I believe that every church ought to be a growing church. Every church ought to be a church that has life in it and support of it and just all the different characteristics of a church. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Light had come to the spiritual dark. Sight had come to the spiritually blind. Freedom had come to the spiritually captive. Now, in order to make sure the crowds could hear hear him and create some space between him and them, he does a wise thing in chapter uh, 5, verse 2 and 3. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, 
and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boats. What's the importance of that? He gets into Peter's boat, and he has him push it offshore just a small distance. Why did he do that? He was using the water to magnify his voice. His voice so the crowd could hear him. If you've ever been out on a lake, and I'm not a fisherman, so I don't go out there very often. I used to ski quite a bit, but I got too young for that. But anyway, but if you've ever been on a lake, it's amazing how you can be out on a lake, and you can be, say, in the middle of it, and both sides distance, a good distance from it, but you can hear people talking on the, sea, on the shore. That's because the water magnifies the voice. In fact, I'm told that travel, a sound travels seven times faster and seven times farther over water than it does over land. Sometimes you can, if it's a smaller lake, you can stand on one side and hear people talking on the other. Jesus knew that. How did he know that? Well, first of all, he made the land and the water. That's the first thing about it. But it's even more than that. He made both the water and the land. But more than that, in a, that's for another sermon, so we won't get into that deal. But the crowd is hanging on every word that Jesus says. So Peter, so, so is Peter. And if you saw, he got in the boat and pushed out from it and so forth. So he's a captive audience now. And that wasn't by accident. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He picked Peter's boat for a specific reason. And here he was, Peter sitting there. He has to listen to him. He's sitting in the boat with him. He can't help but hear him. And watch what takes place over the time. Again, he made the land and the water. The crowd's hanging on every word, and so is Peter. Because he has no choice. He's out there in the boat. He's got to stay there. He's in the boat with him. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing in this situation. It didn't happen by accident. God had this planned out from the moment it began. He knows the first step to becoming a follower of His is to hear the Word of God. That's step number one. You've got to hear the Word of God. Here He's got this big old fisherman of a guy sitting in the boat. He can't help but hear. He's a captive audience. I mean, He's got him right where He wants him. Oh, Peter's sitting there listening to every word he says. That's step number one, the Word of God. The second step, trust the Son of God. Look at, verse, look at Luke chapter 5, verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, the last thing that Peter wanted to hear Jesus say was, Let's go fishing. Do you remember what we just read? They had been out all night fishing and hadn't caught a single fish. That sounds like my kind of fishing. Hadn't caught nothing. Had spent the whole night out fishing, seeking for fish, and could not fish one. And here this preacher comes up and says, let's go fishing. Don't you, can't you just imagine what Peter, the professional fisherman, who does this for a living, looks at Jesus and probably thinks to himself something like this. That is just what you'd expect from a carpenter to say. I mean, he knows nothing about fishing. Remember what Peter and his buddies had been doing all night in that boat? They were washing their nets. 
Now, this is a day and age when we didn't have those things that roll up your nets automatically, roll them up. And so they had to get out and literally, and from the, from the, what I can turn up is when a fisherman is watching us, it means his day's work is done. He's finished. He's done his job. He didn't catch fish, but he's done his job. He has punched the clock. They've pulled their nets in, come into shore, and now they're cleaning their nets so they won't get damaged. In fact, it's time to go by McDonald's and say, I'll have a number one and supersize that, please. Go home, watch a little ESPN, hit the sack, and get ready for the next day because that day's over. Now, maybe that's not quite what they thought, but anyway. <laughs> that's why Peter protested first. Look at Luke 5, 5. He says, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. Peter was exhausted. He and his partners had fished all night long, hadn't caught one single fish. There was a reason they worked all night. At, the reason they worked at night. The fish in the Sea of Galilee feed at night. He sees the request as being foolish for two reasons. First of all, it was the wrong time to go fishing. It's in the middle of the day now. It's in the daytime. You don't go fishing over there in the daytime. The best time to fish was during the night and very or very early in the morning. It was the wrong time. Second, it was the wrong place. Every fisherman knew that the best place to fish is along the shore or close to the shore where they come to feed. And so, and not in the deep water. Jesus had just told him to go out in the deep water. Jesus, that doesn't make sense. Can't you imagine old Peter thinking, you're not a fisherman. I am. You, you need to listen to me this time. Isn't that how we do it? Lord, you need to listen to me sometimes. I know how to do this. Every fisherman knew that the best place to fish is along the, close to the shore, not in the deep water. If they were, went out in front of that crowd as fishermen, professional fishermen, Peter would be the laughing stock of the community. So they would on, be on the only boat out there if they tried to do that. This is how I sort of picture this conversation going. P Peter turns to Jesus. Jesus, I really love you a lot, and you're a cool guy, but I'm a professional fisherman. You're a carpenter. I know rods and reels. You know hammers and nails. You don't know anything about fishing. But then to this, I believe Jesus could turn to him and say, Well, from the looks of your empty nets, evidently neither do you. Now, I don't know if it happened that way, but you need to understand that fishing is a back-breaking work at this day and age. You're laying out a great net in a semicircle, encompassing a radius of probably about 100 foot, drawing it in hand over hand, and repeating the procedure again and again and again until those huge nets come drawn into the boat. Jesus is asking a man who had not slept all night, hadn't caught a single fish, had just finished washing his nets. He turns to him and says, let's go fishing. Are you crazy? Can't you imagine the conversation? They had just cleaned their nets of all the trash and all the garbage and all the tangles of a net and all the things that go into fishing. And I don't know what they are either, by the way. But to, to beach the boat and then a thousand pounds, roughly, of wet nets had to get it out and lay it out. 
you want me to go fishing out there. Number one, we didn't catch any fish. Number two, there's not going to be any fish out there. That's not the place you fish. I'm sure Peter expected Jesus to say something like this. Well, I didn't think about that. Forgive me for being so insensitive. Just forget the whole thing and pretend that this conversation didn't happen. Instead, did you see what Jesus did? Jesus just sort of folded his arms, sat down in the boat, and looked at Peter. Didn't say a word, just looked at him. Now, I've got to throw this in. For any of you guys that are husbands, you've seen that look before. I mean, I've seen that with my wife many times over the years. I've had a conversation that like this many times. Judy, I think that's a bad idea. I really don't think we ought to do that right now. I'd really rather go another time. I really don't want to go right now. And all she does is give me that look. And she just keeps giving me that look. And all of a sudden I say, on second thought, that's a good idea. Let's go. So Simon says, somewhat sarcastically, in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, At your word, I will let down the nets. That's all he said. That's old Simon Peter. Don't miss the importance of what he said and what he did. That's a very important phrase right there. Watch what happens. What you're about to look, what you're looking at in that verse, that passage we just read, uh, Luke 5, 5, is the first example of faith in the New Testament. Faith is simply taking Jesus at his word and trusting what he says. Peter says, I wouldn't do this for just anybody, but since I've heard you teach and I've seen you work, I'll do it if you ask or when you ask. By the way, if you back up in chapter 4, verses 38 and 39, you'll read this, that Jesus had been to Peter's house and healed his mother-in-law, so Peter owed him one. Now, that's not what the verse says. I threw that part in. In other words, he said, I'll do what you ask. Now, Peter had just invited Jesus to heal his mother-in-law. Jesus went and did that. I bet old Peter might have felt a little bit like, okay, I do owe him something. So, okay, we'll go through this. Even though I don't want to, even though I'm wore out, even though I'm hungry, I'm ready to go buy McDonald's and all the different things, I'll do it. God honors faith, and faith is simply trusting God. And doing what he asks in spite of the feelings within each of us. The circumstances around you are the consequences before you. It's the second step of trusting the Son of God that makes the first step, hearing the Word of God, come to life. You can never really understand what God's saying until you begin trusting God. And that's a big difference. We hear God, hear about God. We hear God preached and taught in Sunday school and church service and all the other avenues, on TV even. We hear the Word of God, but until you begin to trust God, you never know what the experience really is. You can't grasp it. If you hear the Word of God but don't trust the Son of God, then your hearing won't make any difference. Peter has taken the second step of what will be a lifelong journey, but now he's about to experience the greatest thrill of all, the third step. When you hear the Word of God and you trust the Word of God, you will experience 
the grace of God. Notice exactly what Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 5, verse 4. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus didn't really say, let's go fishing. He said, let's go catch some. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. Peter didn't know that. Because, first of all, all fishing is is looking for fish. You go out and you look for fish. Some days you find them, some days you don't. He said, let's go catch fish, which is a big difference. Look what happens. Luke chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they... (coughs) (coughs) Other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. These boats... It's one thing to know how to fish. It's something totally different to know where to fish. You talk about a catch. They were filled so full that both boats began to sink. Oh, man. Can you imagine old Peter? Why, we can't sink. This is the biggest catch I've ever had. We can't let this boat go down. I mean, he was panicking, I'm sure. Lord, stop it. Don't let it go down. He was about to come unglued. Wait a minute. There's more fish than I've ever caught in my life. But the boats began to sink. Now, typically the boats at this day and age were about seven and a half feet wide and about 27 feet long. That was a bunch of fish. The greatest in the history of that sea. Never before, never since has a catch been made like that. I think this will be the first time in history that a fisherman came home and actually told the truth. Can you imagine when he got back home? Hey, dear, I really did catch that many fish. And yes, they were this big. You don't hear fishermen doing that. They catch one this big, and it's this big. Most time. Now, I'm not a fisherman, so I can't vouch for that. Put yourself in Peter's sandals. How excited would you have been in that situation? How excited would you have been? Can you imagine what he was thinking He wanted to say, Jesus, why don't you and I go into business together? We could make some money. I know how to fish. You know where to fish. We got the great tandem here. Then he may have said, Jesus, I haven't even got this vision. We could open up restaurants all over Israel. We could call them something like Long John Savior. Or maybe Jesus is Crab Shack. I don't know. But then, he, then the thought hit him. Why would Jesus, a poor carpenter, didn't own a home, had no money of his own, traveled the countryside preaching, teaching, and healing for nothing? Why would he do that? He could have made good money. And here he was, had just done this miracle with Peter. How would he, why did he do that? In fact, he could have gotten into somebody's else, somebody else's boat instead of Peter's. Why did he get into Peter's boat? Because he had it planned the whole time. Jesus did. 
Why did he get into mine? And why did he give me this catch? And I believe then all of a sudden sitting there, it might have hit him. Jesus doesn't care about fish or about business or about the catch. He doesn't care about money. He cares about me. And all of a sudden, old Peter began to think about it. He doesn't care about prosperity. Prosperity. He cares about people. What kind of people does he care about? Missing people like me. You know what a missing person is today? See these empty seats? They represent a missing person. And they're missing. What do you mean they're missing? Some of them may be home watching the ball game or not, getting ready for the ball game. They're missing. And God tells us that we're supposed to reach out to missing people. That's exactly what Jesus pictures in this picture here, this story here. He pictures how Peter was a missing person from God. And God went to the trouble, let's say, of designing a situation that Peter would come to realize what was really going on. He'd get it, finally. Peter didn't know he was being reeled in, if you will. He was being caught as a fish. Peter didn't realize that. But Jesus is just really men. Come on, boy. Come on in. And he begins to really men. Missing people. You say, well, where do you get that and why do you say that? Well, watch how Peter responds. Luke chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Those fish didn't make him say that. All of a sudden, he saw who Jesus was for the first time. Peter, who had called him master at the beginning of this conversation, which is really a synonym for captain, now calls him Lord. I don't know exactly what that means, but Peter either knew at that moment that this man was God, or he knew he was somehow in the presence of God. Peter it dawned on me. It, he got it. This isn't an ordinary man. There's something vastly different from him than anybody I've ever known. He gets it right. Jesus, you are Lord. I am a sinner. In the first time, the words, it's the first time that the word sinner is found in the Gospel of Luke. Do you know what that sinner is? A missing person. One of these chairs we have scattered all over. Somebody needs to fill that chair. If they're away from God, they're a missing person. They may be a Christian that's just got away from God. They may have never met God. Whatever the need is, these empty seats in here represent missing people in our community, in our church family, in churches all around this city. The missing churches represent somebody that should be sitting in that chair. Did you notice that Jesus agreed with old Peter? He didn't even argue with him. Yeah, you're a sinner. <laughs> he didn't say a word. You're a sinful man. But as Peter is about to find out, Jesus is not going to leave him there, but he's going to ask Peter to join him. Now, here's this big old fisherman. Didn't know that wasn't educated in anything other than fishing. And Jesus is fixing to call him into the most important work in the world. 
he's going to make him one of his catches. And Jesus said to Simon Peter in Luke 5.10, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all they had and followed him. You think it made a difference, old Peter? He left being a cocky fisherman. When he got back in, he was a humble servant. Did you catch that he left all he had and followed Jesus? That's the picture that this story represents. So that brings us to part number four, following the will of God. Luke 5.10, from now on you will be catching men. The real sense is to catch alive. He said, Peter, what you're doing for a living is not what you're going to be doing for a living all of your life. You catch fish for a living. You're going to be catching people for life. You spent your entire life catching fish for the purpose of killing them. You're going to spend the rest of your life catching people in order to give them life. I'm sure Peter's totally confused by this time. What are you talking about? But don't miss this. What Jesus was telling Peter to do was the very thing that he had already been doing, catching fish. Peter knew how to catch fish. He was a professional fisherman. And Jesus told him, all you got to use is, do is use those same techniques to reach these missing people that are not here in our auditorium or any other church. What does that mean? What are you talking about? You've lost me. Our call, just like Peter's call, is to go outside these walls and to reach men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, to become Christians. That's what our call is. Every one of us. If I were to ask you how many here this morning is a Christian, 99% would raise their hands. Then your call is to reach people for Christ. There are no exceptions. That's what he called us to do. Peter told, Jesus told Peter to go catch people because he had just caught Peter. Peter didn't know he had been caught, but he was. He was saying, in fact, Peter, I caught you, so you go catch others. I found you, so you go find others. From now on, Peter's life was going to be built around two things, finding missing persons and making committed disciples. And that applies to every person sitting there, if you claim to be a Christian. That was the will of God for those disciples, and that's the will of God for every Christ follower and every church. Because every empty chair in this room, again, represents a missing person. And our job is to find them and make followers of Jesus. That's what we're called to be. And real quick, step number five, the last point. Surrender to the call of God. Luke 5.11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all they had and followed him. Did you catch the word they, not just Peter? That one statement, it's hard to swallow sometimes. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Those men signed their names to a blank piece of paper that day, and Jesus hadn't even written the contract yet. But what they were saying was, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go with my life if necessary. 
Can you imagine today if a church, any church in Copper's Cove or Copper's Cove, the surrounding areas for that matter, if any church would say that as a church body, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. That church will be so big the next week or the next month or so that they couldn't hold the people. Just like Peter couldn't get all the fish. Jesus is telling every one of us we need to reach out in this community. We've got some things planned this year. I don't have, I'm not going to tell you all about them because you know about them. But we've got some things planned, evangelistic re- outreach. And our purpose is to reach missing persons. That's what we're here for. Most of us have been driving on the highway and we hear that little alarm go off on a radio or cell phone. And it's an amber alert. It's talking about there's a missing person somewhere. Somebody's gone missing. I heard a statistic the other day, and I don't know if this is accurate or not. I'm, I heard it. I'm going to repeat it, so keep it for what it's worth. But 20, every 24 hours, there are 1,000 people go missing. Of all ages, not just adults or kids, just every age, go missing in the United States. 2,400 a day go missing. Some of them are never to see again. Where does the Amber Alert get its name from? There was a young girl in Texas some years ago now that was kidnapped and killed, murdered. And because of her situation, they developed what is called the Amber Alert. And so that's that's where we get it from. That's what it stands for. I, it, it has little words, but I, I can't remember what all it is. But anyway, but that's why it is. What if we had an Amber Alert for every time a church member went missing? Would we go to find them? Do you let a little child or a small child get lost and the word gets out and boy, people, I mean, people come out by the hundreds to search for that young man, young woman, whatever it may be. People go all, why don't we do the same thing for lost church members? Why don't we do the same thing for people of our congregation? Well, they must be sick. I guess they'll be back when they come back. That's not what Jesus taught. He says, go get them. Go out there and find out why they aren't. Let's move along. Close this out. This is what I want to close with. Christianity is more than just accepting Jesus and his death, his burial, and his resurrection for your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. It's also so you can live out his purpose in this life and make your life count, not just blowing your life on silver and gold and stuff like that but being willing as one as a once missing person cuz Peter was a missing person when Jesus found him he got him he reeled him in being willing as a once missing person to find other missing persons and to catch others the way you were caught it's scary it is it's costly yes it is it's a risk to start a church. It's a risk to go to a church and be a pastor. I didn't know you people. I met the deacons and their wives, and I thought, man, I don't know about this one. <laughs> I mean, i got to redo this one here. I had no idea what I was walking into. But I knew one thing. Jesus Christ had called me to this church. And that's all I had to worry about. Because he promises where he calls you, he'll use you. That doesn't mean we're going to grow to be a 500-member church. That doesn't mean you're going to keep me another year. I don't know what it means, really. But whatever it is, God's got something else for each one of us. 
when you decide to step out and follow Jesus, he takes responsibility for your journey. I hear people say something like this. You had better give your life to Jesus. You might die. Let me say, you better give your life to Jesus because you can live. We need to follow Jesus, not because he needs us. Don't get that idea. But because we need him. To take life from the monotonous to the momentous. I don't know about you, but I want to live in the momentous, where things are going forward, where God's using us as a church body, as people, as individuals, and we're making a difference in Copperas Cove, Texas. That's what I want to see. And that's what God's called us to do. Are you willing to do that? Let's stand together. Dear God, as we come to close the service, we just ask that you would just move in our hearts. You know the needs of every man, woman, boy, and girl here. Lord, we just ask that you would just move among us. I don't know what each one here needs in their life. I don't know. I don't even know whether they're Christian or not, to be honest with you. But I know you're speaking to people today. And there may be somebody here today that needs to perhaps recommit their life. There may be somebody here that's looking for a church home. There may be somebody here that's never given their life to you. There may be some that have given their life to you but never followed in baptism. There could be so many decisions. But Lord, we're opening this up this morning for anybody that needs to come and bow these steps. Not talk to me or talk to the deacons, but they can if they want to, but to talk to you. Lord, I can't change their life, but you can. Whatever the need is here today, Lord, don't let us close this invitation until each and every person has done business with you. Whether they stand in their seat or whether they bow at the steps, it doesn't matter. This invitation is your invitation. Speak to us. Break our hearts. Put this community on our hearts that we hurt for the people that are missing from God. Lord, move in our congregation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.